Today, most Americans stream their favorite television shows. Yeah, there are still plenty of people who watch live television, but it's not like it was before Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and all the rest of those streaming services. Do you remember some of those television shows, different finales, that would get millions and millions of people watching that final episode when it first broadcast? Any idea which TV finales hold the top place as the most watched broadcasts ever? Well, I'll tell you the top five coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Josh Rayner. Hello and happy Wednesday to you here on The Inner Life. So there used to be those shared moments as a culture where so much of the population, we were watching something at the same time. And then we'd all be talking about it the next day. And we still occasionally have those kind of moments. You know, case in point, the Super Bowl this past Sunday. Almost everyone I talked to on Monday mentioned something about the game or about the halftime show or or one of the commercials. But when you could only watch new episodes of your favorite show on broadcast television when streaming wasn't an option, you'd have that same sort of experience. And when a a popular show was ending its run, not being canceled, but it decided, okay, you know, we've we've had a good run. We're going to go ahead and end now. That finale, there'd be speculation during the weeks leading up to it about how many millions of people would tune in for that last episode. So the top five most watched television finales. In fifth place is the show Friends. Not really a surprise that it's on this list. And I don't think any of these shows will actually be a surprise to you. More, it's kind of a question of which popular shows actually made it into the top five and where they fall into those rankings. But Friends, it had 52.5 million people tune in for that final episode. Number four on the list is Seinfeld. And I I remember actually watching this finale when it aired. I was one of 76.3 million people to watch that last episode. Hello, Newman. (laughs) Number three is The Fugitive. And its final episode aired August 29th, 1967. It had 78 million people watching it. Holding the number two spot is Cheers. Such a popular show. Uh, after 11 seasons, Cheers had 80.4, million people tune in for their last episode. And then the number one spot goes to, uh, if you've been alive for any length of time, you probably know, it's MASH. That final episode titled Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, it aired February 28th, 1983, And it still holds the record as being the most watched television show finale of all time. It's an amazing episode. If you haven't seen it, uh, you know, it's not like a 30-minute episode that they had every week. They made it a two, two two-and-a-half-hour movie, essentially, for television. It had 105 million people that watched that episode when it originally aired. That's almost double the fifth place with Friends. Friends had 52 million people. 105 million people watched that episode of MASH. And uh, it, it even still, it holds the record for the most watched television episode but um, of a show. It actually held the record for the most watched television broadcast of all time, beating out any live news coverage, any sporting event, until 2010. And then the fin- finally the Super Bowl passed it at that point. 
Well, the thing is, if you're old enough, like me, to remember watching those shows, well, you knew all the names of the characters. In fact, you might have known the character names more than the actual actors. In MASH, there was Hawkeye, of course, there was Trapper John, and then B.J. Honeycutt, Margaret Houlihan, Hot Lips Houlihan, there's Colonel Blake, he was later replaced by Colonel Potter, Father Mulcahy, there was Radar, Klinger, all of them. You felt like you knew the people in your favorite shows. Kind of going back to that number two show, Cheers. It has the song that says you want to be where everybody knows your name. It's kind of just the reverse of that, though. You know all their names. It feels comfortable. It's, it's a part of you. It feels like home because you spend so much time getting to know these characters. Now, let me ask you, moving away from television shows, when it comes to your parish, how many people do you know by name there? How connected are you to your fellow Catholics that you see each Sunday at your parish? Do you know their names? And more than that, do you know much of anything about them? Where they work? What their children are doing? Or do you know more about fictitious television characters than you do the people in your own parish? And, and I'm looking right at myself as I'm asking this question. Well, every month, Pope Francis asks all of us to pray for a specific intention. And during this month of February, the prayer intention states, We pray that parishes, placing communion at the center, may increasingly become communities of faith, fraternity, and welcome towards those most in need. So what does that kind of parish community look like? And how can we help foster that kind of atmosphere, an atmosphere that is a community of faith, a community of fraternity, a community that welcomes those in need? This is what we want to talk about today here during this hour of the inner life. And our spiritual director for the hour, Father Chris Walsh, is back with us. And Father Chris is a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, pastor of St. Cecilia's Church there in Philly. Father Walsh, welcome back to the inner life. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. And uh, our, our topic today is something very dear to my heart as I spent, uh, you know, 21 of my or 20, yeah, 20, 20 of my 24 years as a parish priest. So. Well, and so, you know, before we even get into some of the things that, that we want to talk about in this prayer intention for the month of February from the Holy Father, it might be good just to start out with the basics, Father. You know, what are some of the primary purposes that uh, of a local parish? You know, why does a parish exist in the first place? Yeah, it's, it's um, a great question and, and worthwhile to think about as there's so many changes going on in, in parishes and uh, mergers and, and plannings and sadly closures, which I know affects so many people across the country. You know, the parish is kind of where the rubber hits the road, right? Most people's experience of the Catholic Church doesn't have to do with the Pope. It doesn't have to do with the bishop. Many Catholics live their entire life without visiting the cathedral or, or going to a synod or regional meetings. Where do they experience the parish? Um, where the church, at the local parish. And that's not just for Catholics, but even for for non-Catholics. You know, most often their experience of a local parish is you know, going to a funeral, going to a wedding, going to the baptism of, of a neighbor or a friend. And, and that's why our parishes are so pivotal. Fundamentally, what are they? They're, they're places where people can encounter God, where they can come for worship, where they can grow in understanding, 
of God and his, and his plan for them, uh, where they can be ministered to with, with sacraments and, and, and grow in holiness, um, and then be communities of faith and service as well. There's certainly many other ways for Catholics to serve the community and to grow in faith, but I, I think that the parish remains the, the primary place uh, where we encounter Jesus Christ and where we live out his mandate uh, and are encouraged with one another to experience that community, which oftentimes people don't find other places, right? Uh, well, and, and I think it's important, uh, you know, that as you're talking about this, you're saying we. You know, it's not just the responsibility of the parish priest or maybe somebody on a pastoral council at the parish. Yeah, they might be the ones who are able to devote a bit more time to some of these different aspects of parish life and to help facilitate for the for the laity to engage in these kinds of ways, you know, encountering God like you're talking about. Obviously, we need a priest to be able to receive uh, two of the most regularly received sacraments, uh, confession and the Eucharist, communion. Um, but it's not just a few people. It really is inclusive in the sense that we are the ones who are called to live this out. I, I think that's also important as we discuss this. Exactly, and to share in, in, in governance and uh, to share in, in, in the ministries. Uh, you know, I'm at a, a, a pretty large parish here in, in Philadelphia, and over the six months that I've been pastoring here, the, the requests from uh, nursing homes and, and hospitals as we approach Ash Wednesday, you know, can someone come provide us? I, I can't do it all. Um, I, I can't be the presence of Christ to everyone. It's ridiculous. It's not what God wants. Even if we had six priests in the rectory like we did years ago, it's still the call of the baptized person, you know, to be the presence of the church. And so whether it's involved in catechetical ministries, um, you know, areas of stewardship, caring for the poor, welcoming the refugee, proclaiming the scriptures, leading people in prayer. Yes, it, it's, it's the call of all the baptized, uh, led by, by the priest, the pastor, and, and the team that he selects. But, but certainly that's, that's the call for, for every baptized Christian to grow in holiness by, by coming to their parish, but also living it out outside of the parish, at work, at home, you know, in the community, as we've talked about before. Well, so, you know, the, the sacraments, again, going back to that's where we receive the sacraments, that's how we are able to primarily encounter God there in the parish. Uh, Mass and Eucharist, central importance, and, and that's what Pope Francis really highlights in this uh, prayer intention, because he says before any of the things that he asks you know, us to pray that, that the parish community becomes, that it grows into these other areas, he highlights placing communion at the center. And, you know, one of the things I guess maybe we can talk about here, going back to that as it being a collective group, you know, for something to take hold in a community, it has to start with the individual. So for us as a group of, uh, of people in a parish— to have communion, to have the Eucharist as our central focus collectively, each person has to make that effort to keep Christ central in their own lives. What are some of the things that, and I think these are going to be probably pretty basic, whatever you, <laughs> whatever you give us here, but what are the key things that we should be doing to keep Jesus as that central focus in our lives? Amen, amen. And I think the communion, right, we as a church— you know, why do we need the parish? Why do we need the church? Which is, you know, a question that, that many people, not just young people, 
but people of all ages are asking, well, well, why do I need a church? I can talk to God. I can pray to God. I, I often joke, I want to go out to the to the field where all these people that say they're not in church, but they, oh, I, I go out to a field and I take a walk and I talk to God. Okay, I'd like to, like to see all these people that are out there. The field must be pretty crowded. Um, you know, we, we, <clears throat> we want to encounter communion with God, but also communion with others, right? Because the two great commandments, love God, love others. So what are the opportunities for, for people to have a, an experience of communion with God? Well, sometimes, especially folks who have maybe have not been fully evangelized or formed in discipleship, they just need to understand what that means, that God wants to have a relationship with them, that God wants to love them, that God wants to be present to them. And so we need people to tell the story. And as wonderful as it is that we put an announcement in the bulletin and come on Wednesday night to the school cafeteria, and we're going to have a lecture from someone who, who really is an expert on this, for the most time these days, that's not happening that way. It's happening in a one-on-one -on -one encounter. It's happening in a small group encounter. Well, in order for that to happen, we have to have people who are disciples who can then have that conversation with people, who can listen to them, who can meet them where they are and help them understand where God desires them to be. Um, and that's why groups like Focus on college campuses, that's what they're doing. <clears throat> it's no great uh, secret or great innovation. It's what Jesus sent the disciples out to do, right? Go out, announce the good news, talk to them, listen to them, and then and then draw them in. So I think, you know, what is the entry point? I think in generations past, people grew up Catholic, they moved to a new neighborhood, they, they, they registered to the parish, they just got involved. We can't presume that anymore, right? We can't presume that even people who are placing their kids in the religious education program or bringing a child to be baptized or coming to be married, that, that they know who Jesus is or that they know that God desires a relationship with them. And so we have to be telling the story and have lots of opportunities for people to come to know that and give them opportunities besides Sunday Mass, Eucharistic Adoration, small group, faith groups, Bible study, other devotional things, maybe sometimes service opportunities that will then lead them to those more faith-based and, and, and uh, you know, sort of devotional things uh, before they even encounter Christ in the sacraments. One of the other things, and again, we're talking with Father Chris Walsh here today on The Inner Life, and I'll open up the phone lines here, too. If you'd like to call in and speak with Father Chris, our phone number into the studio is 888-914-9149. Today we're talking about the prayer intention from Pope Francis for this month, asking all of the faithful to pray uh, that we, as parishes, we place communion at the center, and we may increasingly become communities of faith, fraternity, and welcome toward those most in need. And uh, what have you done in your parish? How have you gotten involved so that you develop, you create that atmosphere of community? What are ways that you've been able to make your parish maybe a more welcoming place? We'd love to hear your story. Maybe you have a question about how to get more involved in your parish, and you're welcome to call and speak with Father Chris Walsh, 888-914-9149. Uh, when we're talking about that communion, so you mentioned, you know, communion with God, and you mentioned different things that we can do. Of course, you know, go to Mass, um, receive Christ in the Eucharist, that time in adoration, Bible study, you know, being able to, to read the words, especially the Gospels, you know, hear those words, read those words of Jesus. But then there's the communion with others. That's the other aspect of this. And when we talk about that as a group, it means that if there's communion, you know, we're kind of all on the same page. We have this clear vision of being able to move forward 
uh, of what needs to be done by all the members in that parish. But this can be quite a challenge in so many different settings within parish life. Some people might think more resources should go to one program or another ministry, and there's other people who disagree. They think another program is more important. There can be, you know, you can kind of start finding this infighting, these disagreements leading to disunity, really the opposite of communion. How do we, I guess, first of all, how do we try and avoid falling into that kind of a situation where there is disunity, what are some ways that we can prevent that from becoming where we, where we end up in a parish? It's a great question, because sadly the devil loves to divide within parishes and, and, and other organizations of, of really goodwill. And I think it's, you know, you hear that expression from, from years ago, right, Satan has entered the church. And we have this idea that it's, you know, it's only, you know, at the Vatican or, or amongst bishops. But no, it's the devil's trying to get us at the parish level. And so, you know, boy, sometimes if, if, if people showed up at certain meetings at the parish, you know, and they were thinking about becoming a Catholic, you know, sadly, they, they, they might run out of the room, right? right? And uh, let me get out of here. I, I do think it's interesting, Josh, you know, you shared the, the Holy Father's prayer intention, you know, to become communities of faith, fraternity, and welcome. And almost like it's let's go backwards, <laughs> right? So, so how do we start this? Well, we'll welcome, right? Um, and 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 if I welcome the other person, what am I doing? It's not just coffee and donuts, but what are your concerns? What are what are what are your worries? What's what's heavy on your heart? What what makes you toss and turn at night? And then from that we build fraternity, right? Well, I, I now care about what you care about, right? And, and even if we look at fraternities from a very secular perspective, the way they live on, on college campuses, each fraternity is unique, right? Each fraternity has its own uh, missions. One might be oriented towards perhaps students who are in engineering and science. Others, perhaps those who are going to be called to service. Perhaps it's a you know, particular ethnic or, or religious group, right? There's a, a growth of Catholic fraternities on campuses, right? So when you enter into the fraternity, it's very clear what this is. Well, the fraternity at a church is not a fraternity for social work. It's not a fraternity for, you know, just making people feel good. It's a fraternity where we're all going to join together and follow Jesus Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, how we might live that out might be unique to each parish. And I think how do we avoid the the divisions and the pockets, well, led by the pastor who is entrusted with the community as the good shepherd, with all of his consultative groups, the finance council, the parish council, the parish at large, right? Looking at the data of what's going on in the community, they have to set priorities. I think one of the greatest lies today is that every parish can be all things to all people. Um, and, and we were used to that, right? Many of us grew up, especially those of us who grew up in large cities and large dioceses, where pretty much the parish had something for everyone. Well, those days are, are likely gone, with the exception of some very, very large parishes. And I don't, I don't know that it's prudent because the resources can't be stretched that thin. And so I think setting up priorities that, you know, this is our priority for these next couple of years, right? We're, we're going to prioritize time for uh, confession and, and adoration or spiritual direction. We're going to prioritize our outreach to the elderly. Uh, we're going to uh, prioritize our, our our ministry to young families, right? And and really mentoring them and discipling them from from baptism to to religious ed. All right? Whatever it's going to be, you have to focus. And and I think there are going to be times where I might not agree with the focus that the that the community has agreed to. 
and that everyone has signed on to. And so I might have to go to another parish that, that lines up more with where I think things should go. Um, because we just can't respond to every interest group that comes along. Um, it, it just, it would, it would keep us from being effective in the area where we believe the Holy Spirit is leading us for this time, for this time. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, for this time, it doesn't mean that that is indefinitely where the focus of the parish should be because, you know, the Holy Spirit works actively and speaks to us, speaks to the faithful, it gives us what we need to hear and what we need to do at the proper time, at the proper place. I think that's, that's uh, I'm so glad you brought that up, you know. Uh, again, talking with Father Chris Walsh today here on The Inner Life, and our phone number, if you would like to call in and be a part of the program, 888-914-9149, uh, talking about the Holy Father's prayer intention for this month of February, where the Holy Father says, we pray that parishes placing communion at the center may increasingly become communities of faith, fraternity, and welcome toward those most in need. How are you working to develop that community, uh, that, that atmosphere in your own parish? What are some things that have been successful in helping to foster that atmosphere. We'd love to hear how you've been able to do that in your parish, how God has worked through you, through some of the other people in your parish as you've done that. Again, the phone number, 888-914-9149. Maybe you don't feel like there is much of a a spirit of community there in your parish, and you're looking for some advice on ways that you can kind of begin and grow that in your parish. You're welcome to call in and speak with Father Chris Walsh, 888-914-914. 9149, our email address, innerlife at relevantradio.com. We'll be right back in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center, helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at relevantradio.com slash Gregory. That's relevantradio.com slash Gregory. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. Today, talking with Father Chris Walsh. He is the pastor of St. Cecilia's Church in Philadelphia, talking about the prayer intention from Pope Francis for this month of February, that parishes placing communion at the center may increasingly become communities of faith, fraternity, and welcome toward those most in need. And we're talking about what that really looks like in practice, what that kind of a parish atmosphere is. And is that something you've experienced in your own parish? What has helped to create that atmosphere of faith, of fraternity, of welcoming those in need? And of course, placing communion, placing Christ at the center of everything you do. Uh, If that is not what your parish is like, (laughs) if that's something that you say, I really wish my parish was like that, and you'd like some advice, some insight on things you might be able to do to help create and encourage that kind of atmosphere, then again, you're welcome to call in and speak with Father Chris Walsh, 888-914-9149, Father, right before the break, we were talking about uh, how there can be those disagreements, there can be that infighting in a parish atmosphere. Uh, You know, people have different thoughts of what they think should be done or the right way that things should be done. You know, everybody has their own opinion, of course. But if I'm someone, you know, we talked about 
Well, how we avoid that. But if I'm someone who I'm in a parish right now and I'm actively seeing this, I'm experiencing this kind of uh, this this tension, this disunity. What can I do? How can I help maybe break some of that tension and be able to encourage our parish to move forward? Yeah, you know, I, I think stepping outside of the life of the parish for, for a minute, Josh, is helpful to say, like, any organization, right? Certainly the church was founded by Christ. The church is, please God, always guided by the Holy Spirit. But there is an aspect of the church that we are a human organization. And increasingly across the country, you know, we have parishes that maybe share a priest with another parish, where they share their pastor with a local school or a hospital or a university. So they're dealing with a, a leader who has a limited number of hours um, <clears throat> to share with the community, which means a limited amount of time to envision. I'm not sure what the staff is or, or the bandwidth of the parishioners, but even in the healthiest of organizations, a company, a governmental agency, a community group, when you're doing planning, they're going to tell you, never have more than three or four priorities. Why? Because you can't, you can't maintain focus on that. But it, just keep that basic idea in mind for your parish, that maybe there already are priorities. If, if that's the case, okay, can you get on board with those priorities with the hopes that your priority is two years down the way, right? And so it's not that they're ignoring it. You know, but, okay, we are going to get to that. Just like when you, you know, you're going to fix up your house. Hopefully you're not doing everything at the same time. You say, okay, we need to do the roof. Now we need to update the electric. Okay, now we're going to do some painting, right? And you chip away at things little by little. They renew and things go out. And ideally that's what's happening in parishes, constant renewal. And that's all the stuff that's been written and all the conferences and all that. It's not like, you know, we want to work on making our music better. So that three years from now, it's worse, right? No, we, we want to make it better. We want it to stay excellent in, in ways that engage people and give worship to God. If I'm at a parish now where, where, where it's, you know, it's, it's not what I want it to be, or there's disunity because the, you know, one group thinks this is what reverence in the liturgy, and the other one thinks this should be in the reverence of the liturgy. Okay, well, well, we need to get the folks that are, you know, sort of at the helm together and, and try to talk and listen and understand, like, okay, what, what's the problem? Actually, this is nothing new. Go back to the time of the apostles, right? Should we be spending time on converting Gentiles, or is this just for the Jews? If the Gentiles become Catholic, okay, fine, but they have to be circumcised. Okay, no, it turns out they don't. All right, well, Jews still have to follow dietary law. Oh, actually, no, they don't. Right? What did the church do? We sat down, we listened, we prayed. And, and, and God will lead us to resolution. We, we as people of faith have to really, really believe that, that, that God's going to lead us to, to healthy resolution. But it's difficult to sit down and say, well, listen, I think that, you know, our, our, our care of, of, of moms facing unplanned pregnancies and our, and our participating in prayer vigils, that must be the priority right now. Well, someone else is saying, okay, yeah, that's important. But you know, we, we, we need to uh, help the refugees who are coming in. Okay, and someone else is saying, okay, that's great too, but boy, if we don't work on getting more enrollment in our school, you know, the school's going to close. Okay, well, what, can we, what can we do, right? And I think it's for each parish, and that's the beautiful thing. Like sometimes people are sitting back waiting for a diocese to say, you know, okay, this is what you need to do. Um, 
And, and that's not usually the case. The, the, the diocese, the bishop, wants each parish to excel. They want them to be excellent in the worship of God and the service of others. But they're going to allow that parish to, to sort of be, be who they're supposed to be. Uh, you know, you you started off your response by saying, you know, okay, if this isn't the parish that I want it to be, and as you as you kind of were explaining, I think it's so important to differentiate, you know, God is going to lead and guide, you said, if we do what the early church did, if we listen, if we discuss, if we pray, if we ask for that guidance. Because, you know, if if I'm at a place where I'm saying, well, this isn't the this isn't the way I want the parish to be. If it's me saying, I don't want this, maybe the more proper question is, what does God want this parish to be? And that's right. Go ahead, Father. No, it's what we always have to come back to because our parishes just can't respond to every little thing that comes down the road, whatever the world's talking about. We have to, we have to engage with the world. But we have to stay true to what was the mandate that Christ gave us. You know, what have parishes been traditionally, you know, for these last 2,000 years, and and how do we do that well today? Right. Well, and then uh, pray for humility in those moments, too, where where you're trying to navigate those situations. You know, it's, uh, again, all of us have opinions, but, you know, and it's not that we should be quiet or not speak up or not get involved, but to realize I don't have all the answers. Other people have skills and experience in, in, in things that I, I don't know or I don't possess those gifts. So, you know, recognizing that uh, somebody might have a better idea than I do. Yeah, and, and, and that I might not see from the perspective, right? It, it makes sense. And I had a beautiful conversation some years ago with, with a mom who had a, a son with pretty profound autism, and she wanted to get a, a support group going in the parish and she had heard about uh, these sort of, you know, celebrations of mass where maybe it was, you know, not as much music and the lighting was adjusted so that you know, she could come with her son to, to, to mass in a way that would not uh, upset him, given the challenges that he had. And, and in the conversation I had, as she's talking, she says, you know, Father, I realize that you can't, like, add just another mass because this might not be other people. But could we work with, like, other parishes? That maybe this isn't something we need here but we need it that I can drive within a half hour. And she, she, she had that intentionality to say, look, this is a problem I wanted to address. It might not just be here, but, but how can we go about doing this? And I think the more that we can think in that larger thing, yes, these issues, I, I've never heard someone bring up an issue to me as a pastor where they wanted something in a parish, my own or, or, or theirs, that wasn't worthwhile, right? I mean, there, there are so many needs in each family. But it just becomes, okay, well, we only have this much space <laughs> available this number of hours a day with staff people who can open and close doors. Like, okay, how can we make this work? How can we make this work? I, I had a, a person the other day, they, they were somewhat upset with me because we didn't have space to give them for their, for their amateur radio club. Well, that, that's important, an amateur radio club. I'm sure many people, there's many benefits for an amateur radio club. But, but as a parish, we don't have the resources to make space available for an amateur radio club because it doesn't fit what we're trying to do as a parish. Talking with Father Chris Walsh today on The Inner Life, looking at the Holy Father's prayer intention for this month, and that prayer intention states, we pray that parishes placing communion at the center may increasingly become communities of faith, 
fraternity and welcome towards those most in need. And our phone number, if you'd like to call in and join the conversation, is 888-914-9149. How have you worked at your parish to make it that atmosphere of unity, that community that you're involved in there? What are some ways you've been able to make your parish a more welcoming place for those who are in need, uh, somebody who is visiting? Again, our phone number, 888-914-9149. Uh, Father, let's kind of go through those three different things that uh, the Pope wants us to pray for, uh, that we become communities of faith, we become communities of fraternity, and communities that welcome those in need. And and maybe we can just go kind of one at a time here. A community of faith, to increasingly become a community of faith, specifically, the Pope says, what do you think that means? What does it look like for a parish to really be a community of faith? Yeah, I, I think that we're, we're, we're living in a time where um, I think even people who have been lifelong Catholics question their faith as far as uh, you know, the, the, the argument faith versus science. Uh, how do I know God is real? How do I know the scriptures are real? Boy, given all the, the, the problems, you know, in recent history with the church, how do I know this is the church that Jesus Christ founded? So I think we do need in our communities ways of offering apologetics, whether it's theories or pamphlets or, or certain times homilies, you know, or other resources that people can find the, the reassurance that, that faith makes sense that the faith is rational, and that our Catholic faith is rational. And secondly, that living faith makes your life better, that faith is not a waste of time, that you're not just speaking up into the clouds with, with, with hopeful optimism, but that prayer matters, and that a, a Christian life matters, and that the sacraments are real, and they affect real change in people's lives. And, and I think sometimes, I know for me as a priest, I, I live in a Catholic bubble, and so it's good for me to be with people who are not believers, you know, and to hear the way they talk or sometimes watch secular television or, or listen to podcasts from a purely secular point of view to realize this is this is what most people are drinking. This is what most people are hearing. Right. And, and again, I, I, Catholics watch the Super Bowl. And, and as you mentioned earlier, right, everyone was talking about it. You know, that halftime show was horribly unchristian. Right. Yep. Um, you know, and, and it's offensive to us. And that's the world that most people are living in all the time. Right. Your non-church going, non-believing 25 year old saw nothing wrong with that at all. And, and so we, we, we have a different worldview. And so we need to bolster our folks who who have the worldview of faith and affirm them in that and support them in that, and give them opportunities to be strengthened. Certainly the sacraments, but also Bible studies, good books to read, lending libraries, people available to ask their, answer their questions. I'm always impressed, and I haven't really participated in it, so maybe it's something I need to plan here, where parishes will do this open question-answer, right? Try to stump the priest or stump the nun, stump the catechists, um, where people can just get up and ask whatever questions they want. And, and you see that certainly on your own uh, wonderful, relevant radio programming. People have to have a place where they can call and ask questions, right. and that's part of the faith piece. Well, and we've honestly never lived in a time where we've had more access to information and resources that can help us find answers to those questions. You know, I mean, number one, with so many apostolates that exist 
for that kind of support, you know, the, the, the ability to learn what we believe as Catholics. And I mean, you can, <laughs> you can take deep dives on so many different aspects of the faith and really, really get immersed in, you know, some specific details of why we believe what we believe. But, you know, of course, then with so much, so many resources online, you know, you, you can find the entire catechism in a few different places online. You can find all of the Catholic Encyclopedia. You can find uh, St. Thomas Aquinas' Summa that is out there, the entirety of it online. There's so many different resources out there. And so we have access at our fingertips more than ever before. Um, it just It's taking that time and that effort to go and look up those answers, to go find those answers when we do have those questions. Again, talking with Father Chris Walsh and the phone number, if you'd like to call into the studio, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Talking today about the prayer intention for this month from Pope Francis that states, we pray that parishes placing communion at the center may increasingly become communities of faith, fraternity, and welcome towards those most in need. We're going to continue looking at the other aspects of this intention. Uh, hopefully it allows us to have a, a better understanding of what we're praying for and how we can actualize that, how we can help support that, how we can foster that in our own parishes. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Thanks for being a part of The Inner Life here today on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, and talking today with Father Chris Walsh, the pastor of St. Cecilia's Church in Philadelphia. Hey, if you have not signed up yet, Lenten Lessons on the Mass from our CEO, Father Rocky, those are going to start coming up a week from today, a week from today is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, and Father Rocky has these Lenten lessons. If, if you've received them uh, in past years, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's an audio version. There's a written text version. He also has videos that he has recorded, um, and I think there's even new videos this year that are going to be part of that. Uh, it really gives you kind of a step-by-step tutorial and walkthrough of the different aspects, the different parts of the Mass, what's really happening, what the priest might be saying or praying and where that comes from, the, the meaning behind it, why he says what he says, um, what you say in response, some of the prayers that we have, um, even the, the different aspects of what we see in the Church, what we hear, um, all of that coming together. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's a great kind of educational series that Father has. It only takes you a couple minutes per day to go through those, and it's a wonderful way for you to just grow more in love with the Mass during that entire season of Lent. Really easy to sign up. It's absolutely free. If you go to the Relevant Radio website, relevantradio.com, or on the Relevant Radio app, you'll see where you can sign up there. All you have to do is just put your name in and your email address, and you're signed up. That's it. Again, relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Uh, Father, 
we're talking about, again, the Pope's monthly intention here for February, the prayer intention, that parishes placing communion at the center may increasingly become communities of faith, fraternity, and welcome towards those in need. Um, we talked about what it means to have that, that communion at the center of a parish, what it means to be a community of faith. You kind of touched earlier about that aspect of fraternity and what that means, but I'd like to just kind of maybe highlight that again for a moment here and how, how we can foster that kind of atmosphere of community, of fraternity, of friendship in our parish. You know, I, I think every parish probably sees at least some people do this. They come in, they attend Mass, and as soon as they receive communion, they're out the door. They're, you know, they're on to whatever is next. They, they made their obligation in their mind, and, you know, the, they don't even stick around for the closing uh, recessional hymn. What can we do in our parishes that can maybe help to build that friendship where people aren't just rushing off to the next thing, but they're actually staying and saying hello to that other parishioner, that there are opportunities for people to really connect and get to know each other? Yeah, um, we can all do something. Let me start with that. I think you, know, you, you challenged us with a really great question when we started, Josh, about like how many people in your parish do you really know? And, and my question would be, you know, how, how long have you known them? Because I think in most parishes, most of our experiences are, well, I became friends with that person when our kids were in religious ed together and we, and we shared rides, or when our kids went to school together, we were homeroom moms together, or maybe we, we coached the CYO basketball team together, or maybe years ago we had a moms and tots group, or we were ushers together, or something like that, or we worked on the parish carnival or the fish fry. So there was some event that brought people together, but that might have been 15 years ago, 25 years ago, 40 years ago. And, and as a lot of those you know, given parish institutional aspects have maybe fallen off, opportunities for people to engage sometimes are not there, right? So we have to remember half the parish are introverts, half the parish are extroverts, but pretty much the data shows that around 80% of the people who are either coming to a parish or looking for a parish do want relationships, meaningful relationships. Because look around at society, not just since COVID, but before COVID. A lot of times the ways that people found relationships in life are gone, right? Increasingly with people working from home, uh, with, with, with the breakdown, you know, with political tensions. I think the parish is poised to really offer opportunities. Small groups, and again, the topic of the small group could be diverse. You could do things like discuss Father Rocky's uh, you know, teachings on, on the mass or, or something from some other formational website. You could be reading a book together. You could be praying the rosary and, and raising up intercessions. But at some point, and again, all the small groups that are, that, are, that are life-giving, they do get to the point of sharing at a deeper level. It may take months. It may take years. But to get to the point where you're, you're growing in compassion and understanding, again, around that primary purpose of our fraternity, we're helping each other grow in Christ. We're helping each other grow in Christ. Uh, Father, let's go to the phones. Rebecca's calling in from San Diego. And Rebecca, it sounds like you were able to start a group that kind of uh, has, has been moving in that direction, accomplishing what Father Chris is talking about here. Yes, um, I was so excited to hear this topic. Um, thank you for bringing this up. 
Um, I am a Byzantine Eastern Rite Catholic, and about eight years ago, I noticed that, you know, the women in particular were like ships passing in the night, and um, there was very little solidarity and fraternity, and, and we were all so busy. And so I asked Father if I could start a women's group just once a month, and um, it has gone strong now for eight, we're going on nine years, and we are definitely closer as a community because of it. And Rebecca, thank you for that, because it, it's something that my brother priest would attack me if I didn't say this. God wants to raise up folks like Rebecca, right, for a women's group, for a men's group. Give your pastor the courtesy to have a meeting to say, this is what I'm thinking of doing. This is the material I'm looking to do. Father, all you need to do is say yes, give permission for it maybe to be advertised, and give us some space. But I, I want to do this with your blessing. That priest is going to be so happy, <laughs> Right, because uh, because it, it, it as as Rebecca's giving testimony, it's transformed that community, and and hopefully eventually will give birth to to other groups as well. Uh, Father, that last aspect of the Pope's prayer intention for this month uh, that we welcome those most in need. Um, my initial thought is that the Pope was very deliberate that this is the last part of the, the intention. He started with being focused on Christ, that communion, that focus on communion, being focused on Christ personally, but also as a body of believers, and then that we're united in those areas of faith, the belief, the mission, as well as having this sense of community, this fraternity. All of those things need to happen inside the parish walls, before we're able to open our doors and start ministering to those in need, those who haven't encountered Christ yet. I, uh, I, I as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking of a meeting I was at many years ago uh, at another parish, and uh, the, the conversation was around evangelization and how we could partner with other parishes and this kind of stuff. And a very wise pastor said, well, we know that people left because the music was bad, the homilies were irrelevant, and there was no sense of community. Before we go out and ask people to come back, have we changed those things? And so I think you're right on, right? Is the parish primarily a place where I can encounter God? Is the parish a place where I can, you know, have other people helping me walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Okay, yes, yes, perfect. Not that it's perfect. Not that everything in the parish is perfect. That's not going to happen this side of, of heaven. Um but but when there's that orientation, there's that priority, there's that direction, then we begin welcoming people. How do we do that? Well, again, each parish has to decide. Um, you know, certainly, you know, welcoming people to Mass, right? We have to sometimes think, if, if I was not a member of this church and I showed up here, what would the experience be like? Um, you know, do I, do I know where the bathroom is? If I'm a parent with a young child... Do I know where to get a, a, a diaper if I need one? Or is there a, a, a children's chapel? Like, like we, we assume a lot. And, and when right. I arrived at this parish six months ago, I mean, it was, it was just, it's an interesting place built in the 50s. So there's lots of doors. Which way do you come in? You know, and as people visited me here, they were giving feedback like, wow, I, didn't, I, didn't, I couldn't figure out where the office was. You know, I didn't, I didn't know this. That. You know, sometimes with fresh eyes, outsider eyes. And I think sometimes if you're on your parish's evangelization team, Ask a friend who's a member of another parish who doesn't know your parish, could you just come some Sunday and let me know what that experience was like? You know, because I think a lot of times we assume other things. And I don't believe that people that come to a parish 
you know, want to be, oh, all the visitors stand up and introduce yourself. I, I don't think that's what they're looking for. But a smiling face, a place to go if they want more information, even if it's just in the bulletin, hey, if you've been away from the church, call this person, you know, we want to help you come back. If you're looking for something, call this person, right? Or is it on the website, right? If I go to a parish website, is it clear to me when the masses are? Is it clear to me if I, if I want to become a Catholic, how I get involved? Um, you know, so I think the, the variety of aspects, and again, the data is showing us Josh, that people are often going to, I, I know the issue of whether we should still be streaming mass is uh, somewhat controversial at times, but the data is there that people who are thinking about coming to your parish are often worshiping virtually, worshiping on demand, as you said at the beginning, um, you know, for, for many weeks before they show up on, in, in, in person. Um, and, and, and so what, what are they experiencing? And then when the person calls the parish office, okay, I want to come back to the church, what's that experience like? Is there follow-up? Uh, is there a process in place to help accompany people? And, and it, it's laborious. It, it, it's exhausting at times. The phone calls back and forth. But, but if we're making the effort, I truly believe God is going to bless it. Yeah, we're down to our last uh, uh, minute here, so um, I think it's also important that we don't get too comfortable. If if we're working so hard to make that parish, you know, as you're talking about, a place that is going to be welcoming, we don't get it to a place where we, <laughs> we're like, this is great, and then we don't ever open those doors of the parish. We say, oh, we're so comfortable here. You know, we, we have to guard against that attitude. I also wanted to mention, even though we don't have time to take the phone call, Renata called in from Salt Lake City and said um, one of the things in her parish that has helped a lot is donuts and coffee there after Mass. That's something in, in a parish we went to for years and years. Our family, uh, every Sunday morning, almost every Sunday morning, I think except for maybe in Lent, uh, they would have coffee and donuts, and it really did create that atmosphere of fostering. They just It was a line item in the, in the parish budget, just because they knew it would help mm-hmm. families to stay there after Mass. So lots of little yeah. ways that people can help out. But Father, it's always good to talk with you. Uh, thanks for taking time to be with us here. For this hour, before we do wrap up, could I ask you in this last minute to offer a pr- uh, blessing for our listeners? Certainly. May Almighty God continue to sustain and bless all those who serve in parishes. May we have uh, hope as we seek renewal and serve in the way that God calls us. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks again, Father Chris Walsh. Thank you to Nick Sentevich and Thomas Engesser for helping to produce the program today. Uh, If you didn't sign up yet for Lenten Lessons on the Mass, let me again point you to our website, relevantradio.com or the Relevant Radio app. You can sign up and get those delivered to your email inbox every day throughout the Lenten season. You can learn more about it again at our website, relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app, where you can also, uh, just in a few minutes, you'll be able to download this show, the podcast of this episode. If you joined us late and you'd like to go back and listen to another aspect or share it with somebody. Thanks so much for being a part of the hour. Stay tuned. Mass starts right now here on Relevant Radio.